Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hi, everybody. Today on the show, we have Lauren Hunter. She also left Christian Science. And I say also because the last three episodes, I interviewed a woman named Ellie who had been raised in Christian Science and left and talked about her challenges upon leaving and adjusting to the world outside and dealing with some physical issues that she was having and not knowing how to address them because they weren't supposed to be addressed in Christian science and the body isn't real and aches and pains are not real. And by talking about them, you're making them real. Lauren Hunter actually wrote a book called Leaving Christian Science. And it's very interesting to hear her talk and also to talk about something else that is a challenge for people who leave this group. Not only can you not talk about what is plaguing you physically, but you don't have the language for feelings, emotions. How do you go on to do therapy? How do you go on to become a therapist? How do you go on to address how you're feeling at any given moment if those feelings aren't real? Or by talking about them, you're making them real. So then you need to not talk about it and that will make them go away. I mean, that's sort of contrary to how therapy works and how people are able to get the help that they need. So I am excited for you to hear another person talking about their experience with Christian science from a different perspective. Here's Lauren now. It is my pleasure to have Lauren Hunter on the show today. Your story is such an interesting one and about a group that a lot of people have heard of, but find, I think, kind of mysterious and are not sure what it's about and um, will sometimes ask me, is it the same as Scientology, which is so not. It's a common one. <laughs> it's a common one, right. Uh -huh. But I think that people being raised, uh, seeing um, Christian science reading rooms were probably wondering what that was about. And that was sort of people's entree a lot of the time into just the name of the church. And so I know you also are an author and I want you to be able to talk about the work that you've published. So please take it away and introduce yourself. My name is Lauren Hunter, and I'm a writer, an entrepreneur, and a public relations marketer kind of person. I have a degree in English literature and always wanted to be a magazine journalist. So I ended up starting my own online magazine, which was actually for pastors and church leaders after, this is after leaving Christian Science. But I was raised in a fourth-generation family of Christian Scientists. So what that means is me, my mother... Uh, mother and father, and then um, actually both of their parents, both grandparents on both sides, and then another layer up. So four generations, um, it's usually called like a multi-generational religious trauma. So it wasn't a new group that I joined. It was something that I just inherited by growing up in it. You mentioned Scientology, and I know because of Tom Cruise and some of the famous people who um, are involved in that, it's more in the news than perhaps Christian science. And I've had other questions of like, well, does that mean like a Christian who believes in science? Um, because there are some Christians who like shun all science and, you know, early earth creationism. And no, it's not that either. <laughs> um, 
um, Christian Science was founded in the 1800s, formerly in the late 1800s by woman named Mary Baker Eddy. And like other religious cults, she claimed that she had a truth that no one else had. And she wrote that truth down in an alternate gospel, an additional book she called Science and Health with Key to the Scripture. Um, And then she kind of formed her religion. She had a very magnanimous personality. And, you know, there's not too many female cult leaders in the history of (laughs) <laughs> the history of the world. Uh, she was one recognized and she's often kind of recognized as like a, a feminist mother, if you will. She even went so far as to say that God was a father dash mother, father, mother, God. So there were a lot of things in there that were absent from um, her congregationalist upbringing, but she claimed that she fell down and she poured over the Bible and that she had a physical healing of her injuries. And so the premise of Christian science is built on this, what she calls like a healing principle of Christianity that was lost. So that sets the stage for a whole lot of heresy. If you're if you're comparing side by side what most Christian denominations believe, whether you believe it or not, the majority of Christian denominations in the world kind of fit into this box. And so the definition cult actually just means kind of away from the norms. Whatever the norm is, the Christian norm, the groups that come along and say, no, 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 we don't believe this. And, oh, no, no, we have a different definition for this. So all of the major religious cults like Latter-day Saints, who are known as Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science is in its own kind of group as like the, the mind science division of religious cults. And so it really hinges on the control mechanism is really the mind control. And I'm sure you're probably familiar with Steve Hassan. We've known each other for about 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's yes. awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, his work is super valuable. And so, yeah, just taking a look at those controls after leaving is really interesting. So I started asking questions when I was in my 20s, really my teens, and I was really fervent in my faith. I wasn't having healings. So Christian science really devotes a lot of time and energy and space to physical healings. It's sort of like, in, uh, they don't go to the doctor. I should probably throw in the biggest the biggest wrench. <laughs> That's what people are known for. If they're Christian scientists, they say, well, what do Christian science believe? Well, we believe that um, the lost element of healing is not there and the material world really isn't real. And what is real, this is a biggie, what is real is in Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth and man, and it was good. And they stop there. So Christianity, the biggest crux is really Genesis 2 when the fall happens. You know, Eve chooses not to follow God um, and eat the fruit and sin enters the world. And so Christian science kind of backs up the tape, if you will, to that first, like everything is good and perfect and really denies the fact that the material world is even real. So that mind control element is there from the get-go in terms of growing up as a child, being told that what you see with your, you know, your five senses basically are giving you false information. So the acronym for fear, false error appearing real, I think was the acronym. Okay. So I think it's also interesting because sometimes people want to know what makes someone start something like this. Sort of, if you can tell us even just for a few moments about Mary Baker Eddy and sort of what drove her that this mattered so much to her that people could find healing 
within the words of the Bible and didn't necessarily need to go to the doctor? Do you know what her motivation was? Yeah, that's a really good question. We've had this discussion a bit within some of our support groups, just about what what is it? And I think that there seem to be some similar traits among cult leaders, a lot of narcissism, a lot of like psychological traits that seem to be there, whether it's Joseph Smith or the Mooney cult or things like that, where you have this very magnanimous personality. And instead of plugging into a system and using their skills and abilities within the context of their existing religion, they choose to branch off and form their own. We don't know. I mean, we don't know if her revelation, you know, I believe that her revelation was not accurate. It does not work. It is not scientific. Actually, even though it's called Christian science, there's nothing scientific about it, except that you are indoctrinating yourself with this uh, belief. You're trying to indoctrinate yourself that your body isn't real. So if you start to see the signs of cancer, something's growing, maybe you have a boil or a growth or something, you immediately start working with a Christian science practitioner, which is a paid healer who does not come and do anything physical. They do not come and lay on hands or anoint you with oil or anything. They're simply aligning their mind with the principles that Mrs. Eddy put forth in her book, which is states that we're to deny that it's even real and, you know, on and on and on. There's a lot a lot to that, but it's bizarre. I mean, so people will come to church with like growths and, you know, horrible things and covered up with a bandaid and they're ignoring it and they're in denial. And if you can imagine children, so children are under the care of their parents and there have been cases where children have died from a lack of medical care. And there's other more fundamental, um, like Christian sects who've also, um, some of the Pentecostal denominations have dealt with some of the same things where the parents deny medical care of the, the child. But even just routine stuff. So for me, I just had like routine colds and routine, like athlete's foot. I grew up in Louisiana and my feet were always nasty with athlete foot and, you know, didn't get the cream, didn't get the powder. You know, you just suffer through it. Earaches with no antibiotics. I never had vaccines for anything. I got the chicken pox and had to stay home for two weeks when I was uh, little. Wow. And so now actually I'm wondering with COVID vaccine, that's a no-go, right? That follows along with you shouldn't have that kind of medical intervention. Right. I think that there's people who are going along with it socially. So they may profess to be a Christian scientist, but either they're, you know, they have pressure from their um, occupation. Maybe they're a teacher, maybe they're a police officer. So I think that there's exceptions to that given the current climate, but a Christian scientist would not say that the vaccine would be effective or that it would be helpful. They would only claim that it would help everything is, everything is mental. It's a mind science, a mind control system. So in your mind, you're controlling your physical situation. Your mind controls whether you die of cancer or not. Your mind controls whether you succumb to an illness or whether you realize that your ankle's broken. Um, So it creates a lot of guilt when you can't heal yourself. How is it explained if something that is ailing you, even after you've poured yourself into biblical teachings and you're still afflicted with it? There's no real good explanation other than that was happening to me. I would say something like, I haven't had my demonstration yet. So a demonstration would be, you know, a healing. And just to back up, because you you said a healing based on biblical principles, Mary Baker Eddy actually extracts a lot of 
verses out of context and then redefines. So all the good religious cults redefine the main terminology from Christianity. So God is defined as principles. So Christian scientists don't believe that um, Jesus Christ was God, part of the Trinity, you know, the son of God and also the incarnation. So they don't believe that. And God is sort of personality free. So whereas Jesus might give us more of a a shape and a form to God with a a personality from the writings that we have of him, um, the Christian science God really is mind and spirit and life and truth, almost a new agey kind of sense of like this God spirit that's like surrounding me. One of the um, storytellers in my book describes God as like green jello, like like, you know, job of the hut or something that's like this amorphous, you know, jelly-like structure. So, you know, a lot of people bump into the wall of trying to make Christian science work for them through physical problems because it, you know, it doesn't work all the time. And really there's a lot, um, as you know, probably there's a lot of science just to positive thinking and, you know, you're not dwelling on your illness and you're not thinking about, oh, do I need to call the doctor now? Or do I need to go? So with a lot of things that might naturally go away, it eventually goes away. But for instance, Dixie Baker tells her story in my book. So my book is Leaving Christian Science, 10 Stories of New Faith in Jesus Christ. So it is religiously Christian based in that myself plus nine other people tell our stories of coming out of Christian science. the cracks in the mirror, if you will, of, you know, how did we, how do we start seeing the problems with the theology and how did it stop making sense? And then how did we find authentic Christianity, Bible-based Christianity? So it doesn't, it doesn't get in too much to like the mind control and the trauma aspect from a psychological point of view, but it definitely goes through and um, profiles each person's story in a unique way. So one of the women, um, Dixie, in her chapter, she was on campus at Principia College, which is a Christian science university, the only Christian science college in the world. And it's in St. Louis, outside of St. Louis. In the 80s, there was a measles outbreak. Um, and, And as you can imagine, with all of these students who haven't had their vaccines, it spread like wildfire. And the CDC had to come in and quarantine the whole school and Dixie got the measles and was basically like locked in a room and pretty much fended for herself. Um, and at the end of it all, like three weeks after going through the measles, they claimed that she was healed. So that happens a lot. The illness runs its course. And then the Christian scientists claim that you had a healing. You know, if you're the one who suffered through that, yeah, you're scratching your head like, didn't I just have the flu for like 18 days? I don't think that was a healing. You know, and that happens. I think that can happen to anyone kind of in any belief pattern. So, you know, belief is really a strong, a strong tool that can be used positively or, or negatively. So for me, like I had all of these medical episodes and I I was working with a practitioner. I was just super frustrated and it took like being on the floor, like my husband scooping me up and taking me to the ER before, you know, cause you just feel humiliated and like a, f- a huge failure. There's so much emotion and guilt wrapped up in getting help for anything. It's debilitating. So, and a lot of people, even after they leave, they still struggle and they still don't go get help like they should. Um, they wait and they wait and they wait. And sometimes they wait too long and it's like stage four cancer. You hear that a lot. 
And I wonder also if people die, then what is the explanation? How is that explained? It's not really. Pretty much all Christian scientists at some point experience like an evaporated church member. Like you just, they stop going and you might ask, oh, where is so-and-so? This happened to me. I had a friend named Sadie at my church and I'm this before I left, I'm 20 something. And she was such a sweet friend. And, but we just saw each other at, at church and she just disappeared. And, you know, sometimes it's a few weeks before you notice. And um, I said, Where, where's Sadie? I haven't seen her in so, you know, so many weeks. Oh, didn't you, you know, she passed away. Death is not acknowledged. And many Christian scientists do not have a memorial service of any kind. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it's more typical not to have any kind of celebration. There isn't a real confirmation or security in any particular kind of afterlife. It's more closer to like reincarnation where you're like, oh, well, they're going to get a chance to disprove material existence in their next plane of existence or their next insert colloquialism there, like (laughs) their next experience. That's a frequent one. So, I mean, I didn't have much security or sense of like, oh gosh, like what's going to happen to me when I die or like a collective consciousness that we might be reunited with our loved ones, um, whether whether that's in a Christian belief or a, a non-Christian belief. There's a lot there that wasn't discussed. And so in the absence of information, really kind of fear lingers. So you're constantly in the state of dissociating your body and what you're feeling, what all of the information being given to you by the physical material world, um, you're disconnecting that as soon as you feel it, which is a really difficult thing to overcome. And, you know, I've been out of Christian science now for 20 years. It'll be 20 years this month. I am still working at it. It's hard sometimes not to get discouraged that there's still so many things to work on, but it file it into the complex trauma or PTSD. I know that religious trauma isn't formally in that complex PTSD category, but I know there's a lot of people who feel like it should be there. It, you know, it's like, you've got your family that's taught you certain things that were messed up. You've got um, lack of medical care. You've got um, relational things. You've got a false teacher who taught you things that were not true. So it's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of hurdles and a lot of things to go through. And I'm in a few different support groups and a a ministry that helps people kind of get out of Christian science and understand biblical Christianity. And so through those different groups, it's been really helpful and really awesome to have other people. And I mean, without the internet, I mean, when I got out, it was like the early days of the, the internet. We were just like a few years in and that was how I first found people who had left. So, you know, the cults try to keep you, they try to control the information. So you're not supposed to be reading Christian books that are outside of the Christian Science Publishing Society and what they put out. Um, You're supposed to read the Christian Science Journal and the Christian Science Sentinel, and there's a newspaper. Uh, You know, you're supposed to stick to church-approved texts, but with the internet, it's really made it possible to quickly find other people who have left or who are questioning. And so for whoever's listening, whether it's a therapist or mental health care professional or someone just listening who's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize the group that I'm in is problematic. Get on Google and start searching because there is a group or even Facebook. There are so many helpful groups of people who you know are in the same shoes as you are. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad that you're addressing it to other people who have left so they know there's information to access and also for mental health professionals who need to know what to do if someone comes to them 
and you know, there, there have been a number of people I've talked to who said that they went to go see a therapist and they said that they were raised Christian science or whatever else. And it, it didn't make any impact because the therapist didn't necessarily know about it or the outcome from that. Uh, and how that translates to potential issues now. And so that a lot of people talk about needing to spend time and money educating their therapist so that the therapist can then hopefully help them. And that can be quite a frustration, I know. Yeah, so <laughs> to plug my book. So in my book, we actually, um, in the foreword is by Katie Bime Ash, who's the founder and director of Fellowship of Former Christian Scientists, the ministry that I described. And we worked on together this appendix that has a brief history of Christian science, which is very succinct and helpful. And it goes through like, you know, brief history, the founder and what makes it different and things like that. Another really helpful book is, and this is a new, a new version, but Kingdom of the Cults, it's a handbook. The original was just Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. This was edited by um, Jill Martin Rishi, who's his daughter and runs his nonprofit ministry. But whether or not you're religious professional, or, I mean, this is like the only one of the only books that like details and it gives just like a bullet point list. So it's got bullet point. It's maybe um, 15 pages for each 15 or 30 pages for each religion. So I found it helpful too. in just trying to understand, like we have cousins who are Mormon and trying to understand another, like me as coming out of Christian science, but also trying to understand other cults and other groups so that I can try to try to speak speak their language or um, just how to relate. Cause there's some things like we had a close friend who unfortunately died of cancer and many of us went to the Mormon um, memorial service. And so, you know, just trying to understand their practices a little bit and be educated. I think that's helpful just as a fellow human being to know what you're getting into. You know, a lot of people are now learning about different groups that uh, had been all around them, but understanding that for some people it can be a perfectly fine experience and for others not. And sometimes it's case by case. You know, I remember working with someone years ago who had a lot of anger. She grew up Christian science and actually valued it quite a bit and saw the value in what we hear a lot about in psychological fields or self-help fields, the kind of mind over matter and the power of positive thinking and all of it. And there is something to that. And there is something that it does to kind of strengthen people. And whether it's a placebo effect and just makes you feel better, it still releases chemicals that can help us. But like with anything, anything taken to an extreme and applied in the same way to every situation, there's always going to be a problem where a medicine that works for some things isn't going to work for other things. And if it doesn't work, it seems there isn't the ability to say, well, then maybe try this instead. It's, well, how do you need to change yourself to try to make it work? Because it's perfect. And I think, again, that's problematic. But the reason that she was angry is that she had migraines when she was growing up and she really lost most of her childhood because of it, that she couldn't play and she was nauseous and she was sensitive to light a lot of the time. And you know, uh, for anyone who gets migraines or just even has a headache, being given things to read to help you through your migraine. Not okay. helpful. No? <laughs> Not helpful She probably at all. had a good dose of Christian Science hymns uh, playing incessantly as well. 
that's that's a, a part of Christian Science treatment is to absorb yourself in Christian Science hymns um, and Christian Science music, and definitely reading your lesson. They have a lesson lesson books that are citations from Science and Health and citations from the Bible, and you read the same lesson Monday through Saturday, and then hear it read out loud at church Sunday. Um, so a lot of repetition, a lot of you know memorization of the of the scientific statement of being, things like that. Right. And so, you know, that's not different from a lot of other groups and a lot of things that people will do now, you know, where where they have a mantra, where they have a phrase, they have something that helps them. The reason that she talked about being angry is that once she left, she was, of course, very, very nervous about going to see a doctor, but she was encouraged by someone she was dating. And she was able to finally, with the fear, of course, of God in her, take medicine for when she got a bad migraine and it went away. And she thought about the 20 some odd years that she spent suffering (laughs) until she finally left and that she could have had a childhood and she could have had joy and she could have uh, enjoyed music, even listening to hymns. I'm sure she, she said she wanted it to be totally quiet and dark so that she could just make it through the migraine and instead was given a lot to read and was berated also. And so I think, again, it's that pill. It's not, it doesn't apply to every situation. And I think it's an unfair burden to place on people who are already suffering you know, and I guess that's part of probably why you want to talk about it, that it's not that it's all bad. It's just that it can be. And to let people know where it seems to kind of fail them, even though they're given the impression they're failing it. Yeah, that's really, that's profound. That's profound. Um, You know, that you are not the only one failing, that the religion or the, the set of beliefs is actually failing you. That um, reminds me of something really important that we've just been ruminating on in, in the support group that I'm in, that trauma and religious trauma is, is something done to you. Um, and that's a lot for people to wrap their minds around, that it's not something that you created for yourself. It's not something that you did to yourself. It's not something that you can take. I mean, really, I mean, unless you're talking about a group that you joined as an adult with wide open eyes, most of us in this group are all um, children of Christian Zionists. So it was done to us and we didn't really have a choice in it until we became a teenager or a young adult. That's really valuable to like remove that pressure, that external or internal pressure that you are responsible for your own trauma because it's not, it's not the case. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is something so important, I think, just to keep things in perspective and to build up your confidence again and to feel like you haven't failed also and that you're still powerful in this world and still capable, even if you couldn't cure yourself of certain things that probably no one could cure themselves of. And again, that's, I think, the unfair burden. And so I'm wondering just from you, I mean, you were talking about trauma and when you think about trauma, do you think about sort of in a general sense that there was so much about it that was traumatic or were there certain events that affected you the most that you probably went more into in your book, but maybe that you want to mention here? There were various um, various traumas. Um, I wouldn't say that just as a whole, my entire childhood was traumatic as a whole. I wouldn't say that, but I would say like being up with ear infections as a kid, um, that, and I can only imagine this client of yours up with migraine. She probably didn't know it was called a migraine. And, and there's a lot of fear and just not knowing what you're dealing with. And most 
I know for myself, the spin out starts to happen when you don't have information. So when you're sick with something and you don't know, is it a virus? Is it a, like I had a urinary tract infection. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know, you know? And so certain problems like that, gosh, when somebody steps in, like my husband who grew up with medical treatment and he says, you know, this isn't normal. Like you just go to the doctor and you let them diagnose you. Um, You tell them what's wrong and you're not responsible for the outcome. Like the doctor is responsible. And so like, there's a lot of relief in that because you absorb and take on all of this responsibility that's misplaced. So I, I had some of the responsibilities of being an adult, like thinking for myself and taking care of myself that shouldn't have been there. But, uh, you know, whether it was my parents or, or um, Christian science or probably both together kind of creating that perfect storm and also being kind of a quiet, independent, sensitive person, like there's never one factor. And that's what you said before, that some people don't feel traumatized by, a, by the religion they grew up in. Maybe they had wonderful, super attentive parents and they handled things differently. And there is a variety in Christian science families. Absolutely. I did also want to say in relation to, you know, not everything wasn't bad. There is a tendency in cult survivors and um, people who've grown up in groups like that to have black and white thinking. So um, it's either all good or it's all bad. And that seems to be something that many of us struggle with even after we've left is like, it's either all good or it's all bad. And so you speaking that out kind of reminds me that it wasn't, even for me, it wasn't all bad. There was a lot of like motherly um, love and attention around times that I was in pain or times that I was suffering physically because it's met with prayer and well, it's not prayer, like sitting together, praying out loud, but reading things together. So uh, sometimes, you know, it felt like the only real designated times of like love and cuddles and lots of attention came when I was sick, which also builds up weird stuff. But definitely like I err on the side of, of being positive and not like immediately jumping to the most negative conclusion. Um, and so I do think that some of that positive thinking and the mind over matter, like you, you build a certain amount of grit, even just suffering through stuff as a kid and trying to work through it or ignore it. Or so I, I say like the best thing that I learned from Christian science really is that stick and that focusing your efforts in a specific area to try to produce good results. Um, and whether that's a, a healing that's not going to happen or it might happen or, you know, training for a marathon or running a business, you know, there's all different applications of that through whole life. So definitely there are good skills that come out of even destructive groups. Right. And and I think it's that's very fair-minded <laughs> to think about it that way, because I think it is true. I think some people are worried about having to throw away everything and they don't have to, unless they need that in order to really move forward. That's fine. Um, but it could be person by person, whatever works best for you. I think, you know, as we're finishing up, just being able to kind of guide people who are thinking about leaving or who have left and also mental health professionals, just even down to some of the details that you were talking about, about mm, the reticence to have 
or to do self-care and to respond to your body, respond to your emotions. I mean, our, you know, to, to need to deny your emotions is on the one hand, yes, if you just perseverate and if you just get very involved in over overthinking or over worrying, then yes, it's it's getting in your way. But your emotional reaction to things is sometimes your safety net. Because then you know that someone's doing something wrong to you because you feel hurt or you feel angry. And so how do you keep yourself safe in the world and that it's okay to respond to what your body is telling you? And it's okay to respond to what your mind is telling you, but how to get over that hump, you know? I will say that it's a learned process for those of us who have been taught the opposite, like not to listen to your emotions or your, the fear that wells up or concern or really any, I have the feelings wheel taped inside my journal. There's a lot of um, work and we've been doing that in our um, support group. We have a therapist who comes in and teaches on that. And if you want to search YouTube, there was a, a YouTube therapy training session for um, anyone who wants to watch it on um, Christian Sinus and emotions. Um, and that's, I'm not sure what to search, maybe fellowship of former Christian scientists and then emotions, and that might pull it up. Um, but it was about an hour long teaching on um, just really good psychological health for our audience, which, you know, you, um, and there's a lot of other groups too, where you're, you're taught. I was even reading an article this morning about um, just fundamentalist Christianity and the purity culture and um, kind of being taught to ignore your your feelings, ignore the warning signs. And that that takes you back to that mind control that many destructive groups have. And so I think just getting educated, like what is mind control? And then you, as you get educated, you start even seeing it in the media and different groups using different tactics of mind control just out there in the world, like advertising campaigns and things that you uh, study different ways that media tries to impact. I remember studying that in high school and thinking, oh, now I notice this is that tool and this is that, you know. <laughs> um, it's really good. It's really good to know that you're being, you're being played, you know, it's very totally. important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I think to end, I would just say self-care is a huge, a huge topic and one that I'm growing more passionately about with every passing day and both personally and just as a writer, it's an area that I'm really um, hoping to pursue more just in, in light of trauma of all kinds. What does self-care look like after trauma? And it's going to be a lifelong process. Um, I actually was diagnosed with fibromyalgia like 18 years ago, and there was no specific event, but you know, your body stores trauma. And that seems to be the way that my body dealt with being ignored um, for many years. And so relearning as an adult, how to take care of yourself and take care of your body and listen to the signals to listen to, you know, where you should set boundaries and where you shouldn't, and then getting educated and reading really good psychological helps and books and connecting yourself with a support group of similarly um, minded or people have come out of a similar group. Those things have been immeasurably helpful for me personally. And I would just highly recommend that for anyone listening, Christian Sinus or other group. I mean, they are out there, get on Facebook and do a search. There's there are some groups that are, can be a little bit angry and hateful, um, and there are wonderful groups that can be encouraging and supportive and helpful. So I think having those people around you um, can really, really help 
and also just help you, um, you know, as you move forward to make good choices and good decisions for yourself. You know, it's kind of hard to trust yourself sometimes. So it's good to have like an accountability partner or a, uh, if you have a spouse who supports you and cares for you in that way, it's like, there's certain areas that I don't feel like I have good judgment in. And so like with my, with, with certain family members or things. And so I, I don't respond. I take it to my husband. And I say, what do you think? And it gives me a little bit of that buffer space. I don't respond to things that are uh, personal or could be triggering, you know, give yourself a buffer, give yourself time to think about it, time to sleep on it especially if you get triggered, you know, that's, that's, that's the story for another day, right? All these things that can trigger those um, traumatic events. That's also very important for, for the therapist, for friends, for spouses to know that even just certain words, just the word doctor or medicine pill, you know, that you're going to have a reaction to it. And other people around might not understand why you suddenly bristled and you have to kind of get, you have to desensitize yourself and realize it's not just all evil or getting in the way of you and your spirituality, but it could be helping to further your relief. And it's not either or, right? I mean, I guess that's what people learn that they can still have a spiritual life and still take care of what their body needs and what their mind needs. And it, it's not that they're mutually exclusive. Yes. I mean, it, it's pretty common for people to leave a destructive group and not go back to organized religion. I think that's probably more the norm um, than like myself. I kind of like dove headfirst into biblical Christianity from Christian science, which was all well and good until certain things happened and like traumas were like brought out and then coming out with my book, which put my story kind of in the public forefront. And that created some things that I still had inside of me that I needed to work on. And it, it doesn't mean that I can't have my faith. I was angry. I was pretty angry at being like duped by this false gospel that Mary Bagretti taught about. So I had a lot of anger and like kind of immediately renounced her as a teacher because really she's like revered more than, more than Jesus and more than God himself. I mean, she is the leader with a capital L. And so, I mean, she died, you know, and <laughs> hundred years ago, hundred more years ago, but left no provision for any edits or changes to the religion. So the controls are still there. I was really angry about all of that. So I, it's a tough marriage to like keep some of your Christian science beliefs and also some new beliefs and you can kind of get mucked up there. So it looks different for each person though. Some people need a big break from religion altogether and they just need to deconstruct it all and maybe they never adopt a, a spirituality again. Maybe they're just completely done with it. I've seen all different journeys. I want to thank you for sharing some of your journey with us. And, and also, I think being able to acknowledge that, yes, there are different journeys and they're all kind of equally valid and personal. And I think when it can be personalized and you can kind of find the path that works best for you that feels certainly healthiest without someone else dictating it for you and judging you along the way. So thank you so much for your time today. I know there's so much more for us to talk about, but I want people to check out your book and also the resources that you talked about. It's incredibly helpful. I know a lot of people leave feeling isolated or not believed. I think because, you know, a lot of people just might not know that there are some inherent 
problems or dangers involved. And so, and they're not being dramatic. And I think also from what you're saying, I mean, just to have someone get to the point where they're reaching out for help, knowing that they were not supposed to acknowledge their feelings already, they've sort of walked through that fire. And so you really want to hear them out and take that seriously and give them a lot of credit. Yeah. I'd love to invite people to um, either check out the book on Amazon. You can just go to the main search bar and type in leaving Christian science, leaving Christian science. It will pop right up. Um, also, my author website is Lauren Hunter, L-A-U-R-E-N-H-U-N-T-E-R dot net. Thank you so much, Rachel. I've appreciated this awesome dialogue with you. Of course. Thank you. And thanks for your good work and for taking your experience out into the world to help do education and prevention about this group, but just in general. And so I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. I appreciate your work and the Indoctrination Podcast is wonderful and very helpful. So thank you for producing that for everyone. Absolutely. I hope to talk to you again soon. Just before the one more thing before you go, if you haven't already done so, please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become a subscriber of the show for any amount you can. It would be so incredibly helpful and much appreciated by myself, my podcast team, and by all the people who listen weekly to the podcast and all the people who are in line to tell their stories in the future who have already contacted me. I'm sure they want for it to be able to continue too. So please go to patreon.com slash indoctrination to become a subscriber and help support this effort and this show. Now, one more thing before you go. I want to thank Lauren for talking about what it was like for her to leave, what it was like for her to be raised in such an environment, and talking about issues around neglect, really. I think spiritually advised neglect, as I see it, that you are taught to not get help. You're taught to not even think about what's wrong or the symptoms that you're having and that somehow that's going to make you sicker. I think there's a huge disservice that we do to ourselves when we address anything about ourselves in this kind of black and white way, where there are some people who do feel that they have to attend to every ache and pain and every emotion, and they do at times exaggerate how severe things are and are sure that every ache and pain somehow means that they have something tremendously wrong, or if they're having a sad day that they've fallen into some awful, very debilitating depression when it was just a sad day. So we know we can do that to ourselves, and we know there are people among us who do that on a regular basis. But the other is true, too, that we know about ourselves and about other people that we have put things off for too long. We haven't gone to the doctor when we needed to or as soon as we needed to sometimes before something really went awry or there was an infection that took place that could have been prevented. And same thing with emotions, that sometimes we just think we're going to snap out of it, and we might not. There is something very powerful about the mind, as I talked to Lauren about on the show and the placebo effect. I think about this story of uh, one night having trouble falling asleep and going to take some melatonin, 
And then getting into bed, I had a lot on my mind, a lot of clients, a lot of things happening. And I, of course, was having trouble just quieting my mind. So I went to the bathroom, took out the melatonin, then got into bed and was able to relax my body, really feeling like I had taken something that was going to help me relax. So just that idea relaxed me and I fell asleep. And the next morning I went back into the bathroom and I found that the little melatonin tablet that I was going to be taking was still on the counter. I, in my very distracted kind of place in my head, thought that I had taken it, but I hadn't. And it actually didn't matter. Just the idea that I had taken it was enough to relax me because I could relax knowing that I was going to fall asleep soon. So I know there is a very strong mind-body connection. I know that sometimes our physiology can be affected by our psychology. And at the same time, you want to make sure that no matter what, you listen to you. And you listen to yourself before you talk yourself out of listening to yourself. Meaning, if you're having a symptom, think for a moment what it is, where it is, how you're experiencing it. Does it feel different or more severe than before? Should you be getting some help with this? And before you talk yourself out of it, before other voices come into your head that tell you, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, don't do that because you're going to be making it worse. Before you hear all the other chatter, think your body and your mind are talking to you in those moments. And they are relying on you to listen. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at Indoctrination Podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.